The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, folks. Glad that you could join us, as I am every week. I first have to start the show with saying thank you to all my Facebook friends and Twitter friends for wishing me a happy birthday yesterday. I was overwhelmed with all of the warm sentiments, so thank all of you for making my birthday awesome yesterday. Today's show is something I'm really excited about. As many of you know, I am a veteran. I'm a former lieutenant in the United States Navy, Urah. My husband is a former Marine Corps captain in the infantry, and I love every chance I get to interview veterans on this show who are doing great things in the world of green. And today, I'm so excited to have Richard McCaskill on the show. He is the founder and CEO of a company down in San Diego, California, one of my favorite places in the world. It's a company called Recon Recycling, and he started this business. Uh, It's really become successful, and I have every reason to believe it's going to take San Diego and maybe other areas by storm because he's doing a great job, and we're going to learn all about his business, what's behind it, and what drives him. Richard, thanks for joining us on Go Green Radio. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here to share our story and and what we've been doing out there to uh, divert all this stuff from landfills. Well, you do have a great story, and I would invite our listeners to check out your website. Um, Everybody's listening on their Internet, so don't close this web browser, folks. Open up a new tab in your web browser and go to reconrecycling.com. Now, Richard, before we talk about your company, I would love for you to share with our audience your military background and how it prepared you for what you're doing today. Well, I had a wonderful time in the Marine Corps. I was very young. I joined the Marines at 17. My parents had the sign for me to go in. <laughs> and um, my first experience in the military was primarily by training in communication electronics. Um, from there, I, I went into a, a, a special ops unit called Anglico that um, primarily controls air traffic on, on the battlefield. Uh, it's the only branch of the military, I think, in the world that allows enlisted men to control aircraft on the battlefield. We also uh, deal with naval gunfire and uh, intelligence for the international military community as far as gathering data from the battlefield to send it back about enemy positions and things of that nature. Well, Um, uh, you've done some recent tours as well. Um, Tell us more about your, uh, you know, your progression. uh, Well, as... um, I was in the military for six years, and and, um, after I got out of the military, I I landed in San Diego as a civilian, and I've been able to utilize my experience to really expand on being an entrepreneur. I toured bands around the country 
for about six years before I got into recycling. And being in a field marine uh, really helped me uh, capitalize on the logistics for being able to do such a thing. Uh, there's just so many uh, experiences I had in the military that were very entrepreneurial. Oftentimes in the military, you run out of supplies, so you have to trade with other units for things that they want. And it's a much more entrepreneurial experience than I think most people really uh, understand. Uh, no, there's no, sometimes there's no one around to tell you exactly what to do. You kind of have to figure it out for yourself. And, uh, you know, it's a great experience for someone so young to get this amount of responsibility. So I felt like I was really prepared when I got out of the military uh, but also a little disappointed because when I got out, I, mean, I think one of the first jobs I had at 23, after being responsible for millions of dollars worth of equipment, I became a bag boy at a grocery store as one of my first jobs. So it was sort of an odd thing to have so much experience and not really be able to find something to do. I really felt that there should have been a mission for me transitioning to utilize the, the level of training that I've had to do something more useful for the country and for myself. You know, you said a mouthful there, Richard, and I, I see that over and over again. Um, you know, a lot of folks who have never been in the military just don't realize exactly what you said, how much responsibility is placed upon the shoulders of very young folks. Whether you're enlisted or whether you're an officer, it doesn't matter. You grow up fast in the military, and if, you, if you're conscientious and you do well and you're responsible, before long you find yourself in charge of, like you said, millions of dollars of equipment. You're entrusted with making decisions that are oftentimes far beyond what uh, your your peers in civilian jobs would even be allowed to do. And And I think that what you said is so true. There are a whole lot of young veterans out there who might not be being utilized to the extent that they could be. When you got out of the military, you know, you did some other things before you started your recycling business. Tell us how you initially got the idea to form Recon Recycling. Well, Recon Recycling really goes back to my infancy. My grandmother used to say to me when I was a little kid, I don't really care what you do, grandson, but whatever you do, even if you become a trash man, be the best one. Mm-hmm. And so she used to tell me this periodically throughout my life, um, and she passed away a couple of years ago as, around the the same time I started the business, and it, that always stuck with me. And so whatever I've done, I've always tried to do the, the best at that. Um, getting involved in um, the recycling business sort of came as a um, maybe a destiny kind of thing. The music business did well for us uh, until we got a major record deal, and then our talent decided to mutiny, which was a difficult situation for us which pretty much left us bankrupt. So we were forced to figure out what we're going to do for money. Um, So I found uh, some homeless veterans uh, who were uh, alcoholics who were pushing carts up and down the alley. I started to ask them about what they were doing, and they decided, well, since you're a vet, come out, get your camis, and let's train. Let, Let us show you what we're doing, and maybe you can take it to the next level. So I started training with these guys, and Basically, they demonstrated a, a level of efficiency that I'd only seen on the battlefield. A lot of people don't understand that there's a, a lot going on with guys that are pushing carts around. If they were to stop doing what they were doing, we'd have a huge trash problem because they're, they're really uh, very efficient at, at making sure a lot of dumpsters don't overflow out there. So uh, I started working with them. They started to show me where they were selling the commodities they were collecting from various trash cans and such. And I noticed that there were a lot of people who had trash problems. And these guys were on foot, and I felt like 
I could mechanize or motorize what I was doing by acquiring some kind of a vehicle, and, and that's what I did. I used my old touring vehicle to start going around picking up bottles and cans at restaurants and so forth. And um, from the uh, information and training I got from the homeless vets, basically, I was able to start parlaying that experience into getting accounts and, and really creating a, a very small, organized uh, infrastructure. And before I knew it, uh, I started getting paid for the services I was providing because I was taking so much out of the, the dumpster, people were canceling dumpsters. And uh, I, the guys who trained me saw what I was doing, and they, they felt very satisfied and almost like I was their kid or son that they had developed. And they kind of used to brag about me to other people who were pushing carts going, hey, see that guy? We developed him, and now look at him. <laughs> so in, in, a, in a short period of time, I was able to go from uh, pushing carts with those guys to uh, having significant accounts uh, around San Diego County and being recognized as one of the foremost solid waste consultants and then in, into sustainability consulting from there. Um, in the Marine Corps, you improvise, adapt, and overcome. If your enemy is larger than you, then you find his weaknesses and exploit them. And so as I look at the market and I see the larger, uh, older companies that have been around, there's a lot of weaknesses. They're very inefficient, and it's very expensive for them to operate. So I made a smaller, more efficient system, and it's been very effective. I saved my clients a tremendous amount of money. They have to pay to take all these things to the landfill, and now there's less to take to the landfill. So it's a really exciting time for us. And our foundation is rooted in more of a cottage industry, which is developed a lot by homeless vets, uh, guys that have uh, sort of been feeling disenfranchised since they've been back from a war and they drink and they survive skimming the top of dumpsters as far as the commodities and surviving from that. Now, some of these guys, just because they're drunk doesn't mean they're not savvy. Oftentimes, these guys are making 50 to $200 a day every day. In some cases, they're making more money than people with degrees going around collecting bottles and cans. So they're very intelligent at what they're doing, and uh, they're very, uh, uh, say, carbon-free. Their, their lifestyle is extremely low in carbon. So I really appreciate what they do, and it gave me a whole new insight into life. Uh, I stopped feeling sorry for these people because these, these people are earning an honest living. There's nothing to feel sorry for um, in, in a lot of cases. Um, some of them have problems with alcoholism and that sort of thing, but uh, they are certainly making a living for themselves and certainly uh, being productive citizens in, in America. Well, that's so true. And, in fact, you know, I live in San Francisco. We have, according to the VA's count, about 3,000 homeless veterans in the, this area of the, the Bay Area of California. And I work with so many of them, and uh, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, what what bothers me is that there's such a thing as a homeless veteran at all, you know. I mean, I I feel like those who've served our country deserve better, but at the same time, um, there's so much to be learned from their experiences and um, and from what they know. And what's really interesting to me, Richard, is that you were able to, within a relatively short amount of time, learn a system that a lot of Americans, even people who are involved in, you know, environmental groups, don't get. Besides working with these guys on the street, um, how did you learn the inner workings of the recycling system so well? I mean, did you attend training sessions? Did you talk with waste haulers? I mean, what was your process? 
Well, it, it was it was really a hands-on process, and I'm still learning. Um, uh, doing a lot of research online, and, and more importantly, dumpster diving and analyzing the contents of dumpsters and what people were throwing away, and then analyzing uh, the anatomy of the recycling industry from the individual scavenger or person from their home recycling bottles and cans all the way up to large material recovery facilities that are primarily responsible, at least on the West Coast, for collecting probably more than half of all the uh, post-consumer commodities to deliver them to manufacturers. So there's an anatomy that is, is starts in the micro sense and goes into a macro sense mm-hmm. as far as small and large that I kind of walked up and down the stream um, observing, as I would in, in, in a reconnaissance platoon, uh, observing the enemy more or less, picking apart the inefficiencies and the weaknesses and seeing what leverage points I could use as a small company to uh, develop a system and participate in the market. Um, uh, I routinely compete with companies that are vastly larger. Waste management is a company I compete with a, a great deal, and I've been able to secure contracts or take contracts away from them simply because I can service the account better. What I observed, uh, as I learned more and more about the industry, what I observed is that the larger companies don't really have a a way of making a concrete relationship with their clients because they have so many clients, they really can't afford to focus on any of them at, at the end of the day. It's one of the biggest things that I, I observe. So through observation, primarily uh, selling my materials to larger companies, seeing what their process was, learning from guys that have been collecting glass for 15 to 20 years in pickup trucks as a, as a lifestyle, working with them for, for months on end, uh, working 12 to 18 hours a day, learning this industry in a, in a hands-on way. That's really the only way to see it and to really experience the problems. You know, oftentimes you want to do the right thing, and then you get involved in something like this, and you get all these byproducts that you don't know what to do with, maybe universal waste batteries and light bulbs and stuff like that. And so I took the philosophy and the integrity that I learned from the Marine Corps is that if you're going to do something, and same thing my grandma taught me, do it all the way, not halfway. And so as we started to get more involved in this, we realized that if we had products that weren't easily recyclable, at the end of the day, since no one knew how to do this, and this is what I observed from the large companies, it was our responsibility to invent it or learn it or or figure it out. Just because a company's big doesn't mean you know everything. And so one of the most important things I learned is that, hey, this is is open season. Anyone who wants to get in here and solve these problems can solve them because – Infrastructure that's already in place is slow moving. It's not too excited about discovering a new solution for an old problem, uh, particularly if it doesn't make them a lot of money right away. So you're we absolutely look at it a right. Bit. I I just love this, Richard. I'm so glad you're on Go Green Radio. And I'm sorry to say we've got to take a quick commercial break, but folks, we are going to be right back with more from Richard McCaskill and Recon Recycling. This is an awesome story. So we'll be right back with more on Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? 
Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you. Every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Boy, I am having a blast uh, talking with Richard McCaskill, CEO of Recon Recycling. It's down in San Diego, but boy, there's just something in my gut saying that this could go even bigger. Richard is an awesome individual, uh, just the model citizen, exactly what we're looking for to take America into the 21st century successfully, dealing with our environmental issues, creating green jobs. I'm just thrilled to have him on. Now, Richard, you guys have a very unique situation down in San Diego because the Miramar landfill that has serviced most of San Diego County for so long is scheduled to close in just a few years. For mm-hmm. our listeners who are unfamiliar with San Diego, first of all, folks, get familiar with San Diego. It's the greatest spot in the world. I used to live down there when I was stationed at the 32nd Street Naval Station, and I mm-hmm. love it. But at any rate, for those of you who are unfamiliar with San Diego, I'd love for you, Richard, to talk about the challenge and the difficulties that are facing San Diego County right now as a result of the Miramar landfill capacity issues. Well, uh, specifically regarding San Diego, um, to the credit of the landfill, they do a very good job managing the landfill over there, and they've been able to extend the life of it beyond what they thought they would uh, be able to use it for. And as a landfill is ending its, its lifespan, the problem is going to be, obviously, we need to find a new place to put all this post-consumer commodity or waste. Um, that's going to cost taxpayers and citizens a great deal of money uh, because obviously they're going to have to haul the waste further away from the city. 
fortunately, Miramar is sort of right in the middle of San Diego proper almost. Uh, so it's a very convenient location, obviously, to service uh, the greater part of, of San Diego. Um, but as, as that time ends, it's, it's going to become logistically more uh, difficult to uh, do this. So people are really unaware uh, of it because, obviously, we've been trained to, to have the concept of trash, which is a misnomer. There's no such thing as trash, actually. That's, we've been mistrained and miseducated into believing that you can actually throw something away. It doesn't really go anywhere. It just sits there uh, poisoning your earth and, and your food and your water and all that. But the thing with, with, with Miramar is that once it closes, um, trash prices are going to skyrocket. So a service pri- primarily rooted in waste diversion or, or waste reduction and landfill diversion is really going to be a, a primary asset. Uh, what we've discovered is that once we educate our clients about this phenomena, they're really happy to get involved with us because they see the, the, how to curve their costs in the future. At the end of the day, uh, most of our clients initially care about the economics of their situation. After we establish a healthy relationship with them and demonstrate that we can affect their bottom line by saving them money while they pay us, they tend to listen a little bit more about the environmental issues that are happening. And they uh, tend to also understand that it, it, it would probably benefit them economically to be more environmentally conscious about the things that are going to be happening in, in the future with the landfill. So uh, it is going to be a challenge for San Diego to uh, put together another uh, location that's as well run as the one they have now, and it'll be a challenge for the citizens to pay for it unless we develop a situation. Uh, what I've learned from uh, a guy in Berkeley named Dr. Knapp uh, about integrated resource recovery facilities, uh, which pretty much eliminate the need for landfills altogether. And that's I have a microcosm of that in, in the facility that I'm operating right now. And does that model integrate energy from waste as well? Um, it could, but yeah. primarily uh, no. Uh, for the most part, it, it prevents having the need to have any type of landfill by handling all of the uh, post-consumer commodities as a multiple stream process with an echo park where people, uh, where you have a collection system or a collection fleet as well as you're open to the public, where people can virtually bring anything, everything, uh-huh. universal waste, uh, bad relatives you don't like anymore, you can bring them there. And we can <laughs> them. This sort of pretty much anything, uh, I- anything you can, you can think of. So it eliminates the need for landfill uh, completely. Even uh, food waste can, can be uh, liquefied now. And, and turn it into maybe a, a uh, useful fertilizer-type end product with n- new machinery that introduces microbes into a tank. So there, there's a, a lot of advancement opportunities for us to eliminate landfill, but since the old infrastructures are in place and their economic and political uh, uh, viability is, is uh, established around landfills, it, it, it's not going to be an overnight uh, thing where these things transition, unless, of course, a great deal of veterans get involved and decide to wage war on waste. And, um, <laughs> I like uh, it. Take, I like it. <laughs> take this to the next level. That's what I'm trying to instigate. Right now I'm involved with a company called Reboot that uh, uh, is a transitional company that helps veterans as they're getting out. I try to introduce them to the industry and let them know that there's a need for them to get involved and take this war on waste over and, and uh, instead of looking for jobs, create jobs, take the initiative to do that. Um, mm-hmm. You're on the battlefield, sometimes there's no one there to tell you what to do and you better figure it out. And I think when you come home and you get out of that environment, 
you're on another type of battlefield. It's, it's really an environmental, social, and an economic battlefield. And the citizens have to take initiative. We can't wait for the government to decide what we need to do in our own communities. It's ridiculous. The government needs so us to, to be more self-reliant so they can do a, a easier part with, you know, uh, uh, international affairs and, and policies in, in that realm. Uh, you know, uh, as far as our domestic affairs are, are concerned, the citizens are, are really, they need to step it up a bit. And I think the, the former military people, the veterans, can lead the way in that. They can demonstrate how that can be done. I think you're right. And, you know, what you're experiencing in San Diego with the closing or the imminent closing of the Miramar landfill is something that's going to be replicated over and over and over again in this country. You know, I've been out there talking to people across the country and uh, for since 2002, and one of the questions that I ask people is, hey, what do you think happens when a landfill becomes a landfill? Well, a couple things. First of all, taxpayers have to pay for a new spot to bury their trash, if that's what we end up doing. But, you know, you brought up a point that's so important, the trucking and the the movement of those post-consumer goods creates pollution. It's very rare to find an entire fleet of vehicles that move garbage and waste and trash from residential and business users to a landfill. Oftentimes, they create a lot of pollution. And so everybody who lives and works and breathes in between where the trash is started from, the genesis point, to the landfill is breathing in those fumes. And the Mm -hmm. further we have to go to get rid of that waste, the more pollution that we're creating. So there's really much more at stake than just where do we dig a hole to bury our waste? There's, there are a lot of environmental issues, and well, a lot I mean, of them are actually related to, you know, health issues. I mean, it's not healthy for our children to be breathing in all those fumes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we're, we're seeing that all of these toxins showing up in breast milk and stuff like that yep. now, and it has something to do with landfills polluting the ground, and we grow our food, the animals eat uh, you know, various crops that we eat the animals, and there's just a huge problem there. Besides that, our population is expanding rapidly, and uh, there's going to be an issue with space in general. And, um, you know, not to mention, you know, uh, groundwater. Uh, and, you know, having a, an integrated resource facility inside of a, a town means that instead of shipping everything outside of the town, it comes into the center of the town, and it becomes commodities, particularly in a place like San Diego where you're right on the port, those commodities can, can be billed and, and uh, shipped to manufacturers. Like most of the plastic manufacturers are overseas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, if you can get into a situation where you're dealing with biofuels and you have freight that is being uh, using that type of fuel, you can start to cut the carbon footprint and really make a more sustainable process for recycling in, in general and make it much more efficient because now all this stuff doesn't have to leave town. It can stay right here and mm-hmm. uh, be used as post-consumer commodities that create a, and stimulate the economy. Instead of burying this stuff, uh, we, we can actually use it to create jobs and, and create uh, sustainable wealth uh, for more people. Than, well, than, than and there's another people. issue you know, that goes hand-in-hand hand with what you just said, Richard, and that is if a community deals with its own waste, that means it's not sending that waste to – sometimes I know in the Bay Area it happens that that waste is sent off to rural areas where you create an environmental justice situation where underrepresented communities end up dealing with 
the worst part of the toxins and the, you know, the waste that's involved in what perhaps is coming from an urban area. So there are a whole lot of environmental and human advantages to having communities deal with their own waste in a sustainable way. Um, Absolutely. You know, go right ahead. Go right ahead. Well, well, the, the waste stream is probably one of the most unexploited opportunities that any community has. You know, oftentimes you hear about communities needing money for infrastructure and so forth. They can't raise enough money to keep schools open. They need clinics and all sorts of infrastructural challenges. Well, here, here comes the trash truck to load up all the, the value. I would say that at least 25% of the value of whatever we make is lost in our post-consumer commodities. And we go to bury that and inefficiently recycle it through the single stream process. And the community is completely unaware of it. So there's a stream of wealth running down our alleys and such every day and into our dumpsters that no one is really aware of. And we're all crying for money and for opportunity. We need to be a little more thrifty and go back to the days of World War II and maybe prior to that in our more agricultural sense where we didn't waste anything. You know, Native Americans would kill an animal and use every aspect of it. Today, we only take the juicy bits and throw everything else away. You're so right. You know, and it goes back to the simplest of environmental mottos. And it wasn't even meant to be an environmental motto, but I think about it all the time. Years and years and years ago, Benjamin Franklin said, waste not, want not. Want not. (laughs) Boy, I'll tell you, that's the truth. We won't be wanting for natural resources if we don't waste them because our country has plenty not if we waste them. Well, we've got to go to a quick commercial break, but when we come back, there'll be more with Richard McCaskill, CEO of Recon Recycling down in San Diego. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations, who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Tolvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Tolvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. 
Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. We are having a blast today. I am so enthusiastic about our guest, and I just feel like his story is something I would love to see replicated over and over and over again. Richard McCaskill is the CEO of Recon Recycling down in San Diego. He's a veteran of the United States Marine Corps, URA, and he has started a business around something that we all have to deal with, and that is the waste from what we consume, what we use, and he's actually created a, a tremendously successful business out of serving the San Diego area. Now, speaking of serving... Richard, you have a really great list of services that you provide your clients, and I dare say it goes far beyond what clients of a larger waste hauler would be able to access. Talk to us about the list of services that you provide your clients and how that's going. How do they respond to those services? Well, uh, our, our service... Recycling is sort of in the wake of our landfill diversion and, and waste reduction, Waste means uh, the, the cost and the physical aspect of, of, of waste, uh, as, as well as the, the waste in communication. So we do a lot of training and communicating with our clients through signage. And, for instance, with a restaurant, you're going to need a quarterly training because you have turnover. You're not always going to have the same employees, unfortunately, and new people are going to come. And the culture of recycling has to be, how can I say, instigated and maintained and sustained by the recycling company. I think that the larger haulers are so busy doing such a big job that they don't really have time to focus on the clients. We're so small, we have to make the clients part of the process. And uh, we only have a few hands, and if we can get their hands involved in the, in the process, it can make the job a lot easier for, for everyone. So education is a, is a huge part of, of, of what we do. But we also provide um, what we noticed with our clients is that they were being overwhelmed by sustainability issues. And since we have so much um, interaction with them, they started to come to us and ask us to handle other aspects of, of energy and lighting and uh, uh, just a variety of, of all the weatherproofing and all the things that are becoming more and more uh, uh, necessary opportunities to, to upgrade their, their businesses for sustainability. But it's such a fan of services. So what we decided to do is go out and start to affiliate 
with all these different services. Uh, there's a company called Live and Work Green that we have been involved with for some time, run by Megan Hunley. She's an environmental consultant, so we partnered with her, and we decided to uh, work with her in the capacity of bringing all these trades to the clients so they could focus on one company, Recon, to pretty much be a one-stop shop for all their sustainability needs. Instead of them going around with 10 or 15 different services from solar to weatherproofing and this thing, they come to one place and we bring all the services to them and that consulting to them. It makes it a lot easier for them to run their businesses without them having to become sustainability experts because that's basically what they'd have to do to meet all the requirements that are going to be coming here pretty soon. Well, and what's really cool about that is, I mean, it really does help your clients because, let's face it, they're in business to do whatever it is they do. If it's Phil's mm-hmm. barbecue, they're making barbecue. You know, mm-hmm. and, and if they can find one person to say, help me with all of this stuff. And recycling often does become the low-hanging fruit. It's kind of the entry point into, like you said, a lot of other sustainability issues. Once a company or a school or a household gets gets comfortable with recycling, they'll often start looking around and saying, there's probably more I could do to become more environmentally responsible. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. the fact is, nobody's got time to go out and research, well, who's the best weatherproofer? Or who's the best energy auditor? Or what kind of lighting should I be using? And it's brilliant that you're bringing that under all one roof. It, it really is exciting. I would like to say that I was a genius and that I thought about all this, but we basically stumbled into it. We saw the need, and the, the clients really uh, approached us and started asking us a lot of questions that, once again, we took the initiative to um, to answer those questions and to create a system for them. And it's really important that people understand that the individual, you or whoever wants to start a business like this, it's not all figured out. The wonderful thing about it is that you can participate and figure some of it out and and bring a lot of value to the needs that are existing today for us to become more sustainable. Uh, It's just research and and time, and it becomes valuable because, again, these small businesses really don't have time to deal with all the fan and the the wide spectrum of all the things that are going to have to be done to to bring us up to a higher level of sustainability. Well, and what you're bringing is that good old-fashioned American small business attention to detail that sometimes larger companies, like you said, just can't do. And as we know, I mean, we hear this every time we look at a jobs report or the news is talking about the economy, 80% of all American jobs come from small businesses, just that, like That's business. true. That's yeah. and, you know, with, the, with the large haulers, too, essentially the core of our business is a customizable service. If we were selling clothes, we would be a custom tailoring company that made clothes specifically for your body that were affordable. Mm-hmm. Instead of you going off the buy it off the rack at whatever store, we would actually tailor-make the suit specifically for you from scratch. And so larger haulers can't really develop and tailor-make a, a trash or a, uh, a recycling service for uh, small or large companies. Um, we have the ability to do that. The cool thing about small business is that, well, I mean, I don't need tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of clients to become economically viable and create many jobs. I only need maybe a few hundred, and I can create dozens of jobs from that. Uh, trash companies' infrastructures don't really work that way. So there's a great opportunity to create a higher level of service and create economic benefit directly in our community by diverting some of that opportunity in, in, into small businesses. But the operators, the, the entrepreneurs, and the vets have to go out and create this and take the initiative. You really can't expect too much from the government you really can't expect that people are going to lay down and love you because you're trying to do something sustainable. 
But what you can expect is that if you do a great job, people will respect you and they will want to do business with you because you save them money and ultimately you help the environment. Love it. And speaking of initiative and saving the environment and creating opportunities, I understand that you're looking to do a schools program, which is how I got in touch with you. As many of my listeners know, I'm the founder and executive director of the Go Green Initiative, uh, which I started literally on my kitchen table, the same one that I I sit at every day with my laptop. Um, In 2002, it now operates in all 50 U.S. states and in 36 countries around the world, so I know a little something-something about veterans. (laughs) being entrepreneurs, and uh, Richard's company has signed on with the Go Green Initiative, and I'm excited to hear what you're going to do with San Diego schools, because uh, San Diego has some great schools in their school district, and I would love to see them well-served by a company like yours, Richard. Tell us more about what your plans are. The the most exciting thing to to me about the schools is that you're dealing with young minds that are still soft and can can, uh, be... uh, shape to be creative. Uh, they're not locked into a, a box way of thinking. And uh, we really want to empower the school systems to leverage their waste stream for uh, an educational and economic benefit. It's an opportunity for young people to get a hands-on concept in a small sort of micro-community of their school and kind of look at what a city might be like based on what, what their school is, more or less. And, and see kind of how to handle their post-consumer commodities and really uh, turn it into a small business for them instead of us just being the servicers and we'll take care of it kind of thing. Uh, we'll take care of it together. And uh, generally that, that's what our plan is, to go in and develop systems that allow the people, and particularly the young people, to participate and get a lot of hands-on and have them run a, a, a small program and service that is supported by us mentored by us, but ultimately run by them. Beautiful. I love it. We had um, a middle school that was part of the Go Green Initiative a few years back, and they did a really fun thing. They they set up a system where the students could help the custodial staff at every level, every step of the way in running the recycling program. And then they had what they called an Adopt-A-Week, where clubs and organizations and sports teams could adopt a week, sign up for a week to help the custodians with the recycling system on campus, and they would receive the profits or the the proceeds from the recycling to use, you know, if it was the basketball team and they needed new jerseys or, you know, the drama club needed costumes or whatever, and they could use the money however they wanted to. And what what sprung out of that was some amazing and really fun peer mentoring because you would see, you know, when it was the basketball team's week, they'd be walking around lunch saying, hey, man, don't put that in the trash. Put in the recycling. You know, we need jerseys. So they were actually helping to teach their fellow students you know, the value uh, and the economic benefit of not treating those recyclables like trash. I mean, it, it was really cool, and I would love to see you guys teaching them exactly that same thing down in San Diego. It's really important that people get a hands-on opportunity. If they don't, then they really won't understand the complete viability of, of this opportunity environmentally or economically. Uh, if you come in and, and take them out of the process it becomes trash again, and they just throw it into a box or whatever. But if you get them involved and you train them on what polyethylene is or high-density polyethylene and what its value is and how it's made, if you go into the details, you become more sensitive about it, and then that expands from whatever school they're going to, obviously, into their homes and into the rest of their lives, ultimately. We really want to build young, sustainable minds, and the best way to do it 
is to get them to roll up their sleeves and be part of the active operational process, not just spectators. That's right, and get them to understand, you know, what the system is, what happens when they put something in either a recycling container or a trash bin, and yeah, I think what will ultimately grow from that is some individual responsibility when they realize their their impact, you know, through the choices that they make. Um, in the minute that we have left before our next commercial break, tell us a little bit about what you're doing for the Port of San Diego. Uh, the Port of San Diego is really a wonderful opportunity. Uh, it, we bidded on a, a contract and we were awarded the contract uh, amongst very large companies and because of that higher level of customizable service, they needed a service that would report their wage to them, that would be able to enter buildings and, and go on every floor and pull recyclables out of the buildings. It really wasn't a dumpster culture for them. I spelled dumpster with a B-D-U-M-B. <laughs> and so, uh, with that, the Port of San Diego has provided, obviously, a lot of legitimacy to what we do because there's such an important and viable entity in San Diego. And what we've discovered is that they have a tremendous amount of, of opportunities. There's a lot of uh, marinas that need our support. When we're just starting to do the 20 or so marinas that are throughout San Diego where people park their private boats, and uh, we participated in, in, the, in the, the, they have an operation, uh, a clean sweep, where we clean up the entire bay. I think that happens once a quarter. We, we go and volunteer, and, and when the tide is low, go out on the shore and just clean up as much debris as we possibly can. So working with the port, is just it, it raised our profile a great deal. They had a unique need, and we're filling it, and they're promoting us for it. And it's really just a wonderful opportunity. Some of our clients are port tenants as well. So it's just a, a wonderful opportunity for us. And the San Diego port really leads the way as far as sustainability. They are at the water's edge, and they have to be sensitive to what's going on with the environment. That's fantastic. Well, we've got one more awesome segment with Richard, and we're going to take a quick commercial break. But don't go away. We'll be right back talking more about recon recycling. More after these commercial messages. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? or 14%. Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Interstate Sportsman Talk Radio Show brings two well-known outdoorsmen to the Voice America Network with hunting and fishing info news, talking about everything from new sporting gear, places to hunt and fish, and getting more from your recreation time. Join hosts Brock Ray and Don Kirk Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 Eastern, for the Interstate Sportsman on the Voice America channel. Go inside the world of PR with PR Insider, hosted by public relations expert Maureen Kettis. Maureen will speak to the world's highest profile PR pros from the fields of marketing, advertising, and sales. And PR Insider will feature renowned members of the media as special guests. 
Maureen will give you a VIP access pass, including tips and tricks to take your business to the next level. PR Insider with Maureen Kettis, sponsored by Cision, us.cision.com. Listen every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, folks. You know that every week I get so excited about my guests. I really feel lucky that I get to talk to some of the awesome people that I do, and they really run a wide gamut of different people with different perspectives and jobs within this huge industry that we call the green industry. But today's guest is just I feel like my heart and my head are going to explode. I'm so excited by what he's doing. Richard McCaskill has started a company called Recon Recycling down in San Diego. If you're just joining us, don't close this tab in your web browser. Keep listening to us on voiceamerica.com. But open a new tab in your web browser and go to reconrecycling.com and check it out. Richard is a, a Marine veteran. He is doing things in such a smart and such a uh, Marine Corps way. I love the way he approaches his business model, and I've been thrilled to have him on the show. You know, Richard, in today's economy, there are a lot of people who think that talking about environmental protection is frivolous, that it's a luxury that we can only talk about when unemployment is at 2% and everybody's flush with cash. But, you know, Sometimes an economic downturn actually creates opportunities in some industries, and I feel like you've capitalized on that. Tell us your take on that. I mean, how should we be dealing with environmental protection agencies, or not agencies, but issues, even in a downturn economy? Well, I mean, our motto at Recon Recycling, our team says Earth first. Without Earth, there is no man. Without Earth, there is no economy. So it's somewhat ridiculous to us. Uh, to think that about economics over environment. Um, I, what we believe is that uh, old, wealthy, and, and wasteful infrastructures have, have a vested interest in keeping things pretty much the same way they are. Obviously, oil would not like to see uh, alternative fuel sources or clean alternative free fuel sources be unleashed to the, the general masses because mm-hmm. they wouldn't be able to have their little economic um, windfall or whatever you want to call it. And that's part of our biggest problems as consumers. Um, it's always economics over earth and economics over people. It's funny that economics needs people, but it kind of abuses people more so than, than, than works with them. So I think it's just the, the philosophy of, of the old school. I think we're moving into an, a new era of sustainability, which means sharing the wealth of the earth, not hoarding it and not making others poor because of your, your economic and infrastructural power. And I, I think it's nonsense, really. Uh, it's just the, the typical nonsense of politics and wealth as, as we know it from the old consumer days. As we move more into this green-collar economy, uh, we're, we're going to have to change the way we think about what it means to be wealthy or what it means to be economic 
Um, right. uh, and I, I just think people want to hold on to what's comfortable for them. And uh, change is a very scary thing for old infrastructures. Well, and you know, the, the fact of the matter is, in order for the economy, in order for industry to even operate, there are a few key ingredients, like water, hopefully clean water, and clean soil to grow food in, uh, plentiful natural resources. And if we use all of those up, um, what are we going to have left as the foundation for our economy anyway, you know? We'll be, we're, the Earth is really not in trouble. We are. The Earth could spit us off and not miss a beat. Yep. It, it, it wouldn't miss us at all. It wouldn't cry <laughs> one day if we were gone. And so what we need to think about more and more is what we need to do to be in harmony. We have put economics at such a high level, we've forgotten what we are. We're creatures of this planet, not the, uh, intelli- the so-called intelligent life form we think we are. If we were intelligent, why are we, why are we destroying the planet that we live on? That's right. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. If we were you know, intelligent, we wouldn't even need money, but you know, that's <laughs> another story. Yeah, human nature is the big variable there, I'm afraid. But, you know, speaking of politics, how much of a role do you think that the San Diego Recycling Ordinance has played in the success of your business? I mean, do you feel like a lot of your clients would start recycling programs even without an ordinance like that in place, or do you feel like that recycling ordinance has actually been a good kickstart for people to take action and to recycle? Well, that's, that's an excellent question, and it does intertwine with economics and politics. First of all, I want to praise San Diego for taking the initiative to get involved in, in such a thing, and I think it has had an impact um, on, uh, particularly from a commercial perspective. I mean, obviously, savvy operators are knowledgeable about ordinances and, and things of that nature, but the, the, the true impact is the general public and how they feel about the environment. People are up in arms. Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth probably did a great deal of work uh, to uh, stimulate people's interest in, in what we could do better, along with a lot of other people out there. I think The Eleventh Hour is another good film, and uh, there's a, a bunch of different uh, documentaries on our carbon footprints and stuff like that. And I think that the, the mixture of the ordinance and the general public will is, is, is really having the ultimate impact on, on recycling programs and, and what we do environmentally. Uh, certainly, I think the ordinance is an instigator, but not necessarily the primary uh, Move and you know you know all since the global economic crash, all infrastructures in in this country, all municipalities are having tremendous economic problems. So mm-hmm. it's kind of difficult to enforce such an ordinance, uh, even if you are promoting it, uh, because the the economy is just not there to to, to do so. And uh, you know right. with the, the city not being able to really sustain its own uh, uh, recycling service effectively or efficiently in an economic way. It's just a, an incredible burden. It's not really much they can do other than, other than proclaim the ordinance, and uh, hopefully in the years ahead as we become more organized and more stable in our economic situation, we'll be able to enforce it a little bit. So it's an instigator, not necessarily the primary thing. The primary thing that I'm seeing on the ground is the will of the people and their mm-hmm. desire to want to have recycling, regardless of what the ordinance is. Some people are completely unaware of it, and they still want to do a program. I like that. I think that's great. And, I mean, when you live in a beautiful area like San Diego where you are just surrounded by beauty in every direction, um, there are a lot of folks who realize the connection between their own actions and preserving that beautiful landscape. And, of course, the United States is full of beautiful landscapes. And I think people are appreciating more and more 
um, how their individual actions can contribute to the preservation of that beauty and those natural treasures for generations to come. We've got a couple of minutes left in the show, Richard, and so I kind of want to let you freestyle here for a second. By the end of next year, 2011, where do you see Recon Recycling? I mean, how do you hope that your company will change or grow? I see us, uh, we have one facility now, and I, I see us having at least one other to service the county. Ultimately, we want to have a, a six to eight facilities here, uh, like the one we have uh, down by the 32nd Street Naval Base, by the way. Yay. Uh, I also see us servicing uh, somewhere about three to 500 commercial and, and multifamily housing clients. And I see us creating uh, potentially about 65 jobs. Uh, out of that. So I'm really excited about that. And then we're also getting more and more involved because I'm a disabled veteran. I'm getting more involved in uh, government contracts now. So I, I think those opportunities will really help us create jobs. That's really what our goal is, is to create opportunity uh, and create opportunity for people to come in and help us create jobs, really. Uh, I can't do this by myself. It, it's, I'm going to have to develop people and develop opportunities and systems for people to come in and, and be part of the solution and, and use their will and passion to do something for themselves and, and for their communities by creating these jobs. People are talking about it, but at the end of the day, someone's got to get in a truck or some type of vehicle and make this a reality. Well, and I love everything about what you've said, Richard, because I think that your philosophy and what you have begun here is exactly the kind of attitude and exactly the kind of initiative and hard work that's going to take the United States into a successful 21st century economy. I think this is the kind of thing that's, and these are the kind of companies with not just the great idea, but the hard work, the attitude, and the jobs creation that's going to help us turn the tide uh, and what we're seeing today in terms of, of the economy and what we hope for will be a better future for our children. I want to thank you for your service, Richard. I want to thank you for uh, what you're doing to serve your community today. And I want to thank you for being on Go Green Radio. Folks, there will be more Go Green Radio, same time, same place next week. So he don't hesitate to uh, reach out to us via email between now and then. But until then, have a great week and go green. Thank you. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.